Don't check. Don't check. This is Brown's Digest. What's going on, everyone? Hope you guys are hungry. It is time for another episode of the Browns Digest podcast. We are back for episode eight, and it is a pleasure to have you guys with us. The NFL draft is finally finished, and the Cleveland Browns have eight new players along their roster to improve their chances of making a deep playoff push. But before we get into those picks, my question is always, Pete, how are you doing today? Good. Uh, it's it's busy. Aftermath of the draft is is hectic, uh, but it's fun because we get to uh, sort of dive into everything the Browns just did. Yeah, and the good thing about this draft, the Browns entered the 2021 NFL draft with nine draft picks. Uh, there was a few discussions about do they have enough roster spots to include nine players. They eventually end up making eight with a few trades up and down the board with uh, also attaining additional assets for the future, which is something that we definitely wanted to see given the uh, layout of their picks prior to the draft actually starting. And the biggest thing, of course, for the Browns heading into the draft was addressing their needs at boundary corner, linebacker, safety, and then most importantly for the offense being able to add some speed. And boy, did they do that on uh, day two. So looking at round one, Pick 26, uh, there were obviously some questions about the Browns and their decisions of potentially moving up to get a player, say if a cornerback fell. We saw early in the first round, um, Pete actually was able to mock this pick correctly when we did our mock draft in last episode with J.C. Horn going to the Carolina Panthers and in turn, Patrick Sertain ended up going to the Denver Broncos um, after pretty much the whole draft process of him going to the Dallas Cowboys and in turn, uh, Jerry Jones panicked a little bit and took a linebacker, uh, which was definitely unexpected for a lot of people. So there was, you know, maybe a little bit of tension with the Browns and potentially their ability to get a corner after two corners going in back to back picks. And then uh, once the Cardinals came up and the I believe it was the um, it was it was Washington football team, you see them taking linebackers. It kind of helped the Browns in terms of pushing other players down the board. Of course, the Bears trading up for Justin Fields helped as well. And in that scenario, the Browns were able to get one of the top corners with Caleb Farley also going to the Tennessee Titans, um, another pick that was mocked in the mock draft, having Greg Newsom, cornerback out of Northwestern, fall into the Cleveland Browns at pick 26. Pete, what was your thoughts on this pick? And overall, what would you give a grade for the Browns draft over the 2021 NFL draft? Uh, I gave the Browns a B for the overall draft. Um, there's some volatility in there that could go, uh, could make this thing go very, very well or could blow up in their face in a couple of instances. But as far as Newsom goes, I, I was surprised um, that he fell to the Browns. Uh, I, I was, I thought Andrew Barry was uh, patient. Um, I think it's, it's, far easier said than done to be 
uh, to, to be disciplined in that manner and not, not feel you have to go up and get your guy like that. Um, and it worked out for them. They didn't have to give up anything to get it, get him. Um, he's exactly what the Browns want in a corner. Um, he played a lot of off man, uh, zone and some tight man coverage. And, and if you watch him play for Northwestern, uh, it's as if he was auditioning to play in this bronze secondary. They're going to have him do everything he was doing there. I assume uh, he's he's plays coverage in a similar manner as as Denzel Ward does, but he's he's longer, uh, extremely disciplined in his his uh, doing what he's coached. Uh, you know, it, it, people will criticize him or, or at least note that he only had the one interception. Uh, he, he follows his tech, the way he was coached at Northwestern to a T. Um, whereas some DBs might be more inclined to sort of get greedy and look for, look for the ball and try to make plays. Um, he, he just does exactly what he's supposed to. He gets in the hip. Uh, he, he, he plays the, plays the hands. Uh, and then when, when he's in position, he'll try to look for the ball. Uh, to either knock it away or whatever in, in the one interception he had, it was still following exactly what he was supposed to do, except the ball was thrown super late. So he was able to make the interception. So I, I think there's a lot to like about that, uh, that, that he is willing to sort of be competitive and relentless in doing exactly what this team wants him to, or, or what Northwestern wants to do and reason to believe he will do the same thing here. I think, uh, as, as he, uh, gets comfortable in this, I, I do think he'll have more opportunities to create turnovers in, in how the Browns, uh, coach, but, you know, other than the injuries and, and maybe needed to get a little stronger, uh, he's 20. Uh, I think he does everything that this team wants from that position. The scheme versatility that Newsom offers was definitely a big value point for me in terms of the pick. Um, overall, for the draft, I give them a B as well. Um, you know, there are some situations where you kind of have to, you know, take multiple swings and see, you know, if you can get a hit or, you know, just throw things at the wall and see what sticks when it comes to really trying to find value in terms of long term and then also quality depth. With Newsom, the thing I really liked about it is the fact that he can play both man and zone. And it also gives you more insurance um, getting a top corner versus being in a situation where, similar to last year, you know, Greedy Williams doesn't play. And then, of course, two years ago, there was a, I believe it was a four-game stretch where both Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward were injured. Um, so you have to lean heavily on Terrence Mitchell and you don't want to be in that similar situation. Obviously, Terrence Mitchell is no longer on the roster, but you don't want to be in a situation where your top two corners are, you know, out for an extended period of time and you don't have valuable quality depth to help mitigate some of that loss. And with Newsom, obviously, he's a young player. So you, of course, get that long term um, value with him. And also, it gives you the ability to further evaluate what you have in greedy williams obviously he wasn't picked by this front office so um there's some uh i would say there's some fluidity that should go into the cornerback room in terms of you know how do you improve it 
um, what they can provide in terms of this season. Obviously, given the roster and not having to hand out huge contracts as of yet to Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward. Obviously, Nick Chubb is a little bit more in question given that he doesn't have a fifth-year option. But again, being able to add players that can play in the secondary when you have to face teams like the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, and I would say slightly the Baltimore Ravens, who got a little bit better in the receiving room, you now have uh, more confidence going to those matchups that if the Browns have to get in the shootout, that your corners can make you know one or two plays to really give you more chances in terms of coming out with a victory in those matchups. Yeah, the Ravens did really well. I think they had the best draft in the in the division. Um, I think there's some reasons for that. Uh, you know, in the same way that you, some people may not be satisfied with the Browns, uh, sort of not necessarily getting some of their needs. The Ravens didn't either. They just focused on on talent. Uh, I, I think they have added a lot of it. Uh, I, I actually. The, the pick that gets criticized the most is the kid they took in a, the third round, the DB. Uh, and, and I get it. Uh, uh, why, you know, he's sort of raw and everything, but, you know, like historical data, the stuff uh, James Coburn does, uh, he has all pro potential, like as good as any profile in this draft. So for a team like the Ravens, they're taking a guy that they don't need to play this year, maybe not next year. So if he pans out and he can reach that potential, everybody's going to be looking back and going, wow, they crushed it. Um, but they, they did a lot of things that, that I think um, are, are, are good. I, and that, that pick is no, is, is pretty much the exact same philosophy that the Browns took with taking Anthony Schwartz. Um, they're both volatile, high risk, uh, you know, big, big, big home run type cuts. And, you know, if you're going to take those type of cuts like that, I'm all for doing it on guys with a real genuine dominating trait asset, something that, that makes them special as opposed to doing it on guys who, who, who may have been really talented in college, but for one reason or another are, are not reliable in terms of uh, doing what they need to do away from the field. Uh, So like, you know, Anthony Schwartz, I I think if, if we, you know, fast forward three years, I think Anthony Schwartz could be a weapon for the Browns and no one would be surprised. I think you could fast forward three years and Anthony Schwartz isn't on the team and didn't do anything and no one would be surprised. So that feeds into that volatility where, you know, they took a big hack, but if you're going to take it, he's the type of guy you, you do it for. And they both, both, both the Browns and the Ravens did it in the third round where, you know, that's all you're you're theoretically thinking this, you know, the first and second rounds are, are guys you're thinking of in terms of two contracts, third round and on you're thinking of one contract. So that's sort of like this magic round where, you know, your, your, your willingness to take risks uh, goes up and the, you know, obviously the players get more imperfect theoretically, especially in a draft like this one where, where the talent was lower. Uh, 
compared to most drafts sheer by sheer number of players who are in the draft. So now that, that that's where the, it could be a huge hit for both of those teams or both teams could be, you know, looking down the road in a couple of years and they got nothing out of those picks, but those are, those are the type of gambles where I think you're really smart in the way that you're approaching it. And the pick that the Baltimore Ravens took in the third round was Brandon Stevens, a cornerback yes. out of SMU. His profile, um, unbelievable. And, and like you said, you know, those are the type of players that you really want to, especially I would say the back end of day two, early day three, are those players that, of course, they have some deficiencies in their game. But a lot of the time, you know, you're picking players that are young, still have a lot of potential. Uh, obviously, if you're going to really take a big swing on a player, you will want someone that has a tremendous ceiling if they have the right development development and the right coaching around them. Now, there's a potential that their floor could be a little bit lower, but again, those are the chances that you really want to take at the back end of day two and early day three because your players that you're drafting in the first two rounds, really, I would say, of course, you want to find the best talent possible, but to really feel like you got the best value in the first two rounds, granted you're not picking it in the top 10, is that you're getting a player with a high floor so that way you can have them for a longer period of time. And it's like if their ceiling is a little bit lower, but they have a higher floor, at least, you know, you're going to have a solid contributor, you know, for an extended period of time. So looking at round two, I would say the Browns got a really good player with a high floor and potentially a high ceiling, you know, depending on how he schemed up within his defense. And at pick 52, um, of course, they moved up from pick 59 to with the Carolina Panthers. They also traded pick 89 and then received 52 in a fourth round pick. And they drafted Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, the linebacker out of Notre Dame. He comes in at 6'1", 215. And he was also the 2020 Dick Buckus Award winner, which is for the nation's top linebacker. And this is a player that a lot of people didn't think was going to fall this far into the second round. And he, I would say, you know, Paul D. Podesta did hint at it a little bit that he was a potential option at 26. But obviously, given the situation that they thought he was going to be off the board, uh, you know, Greg Newsom was the obvious pick and it worked out in the Browns favor because you get a player that has so much defensive scheme versatility that you can play him really as that rover role, similar to what Mark Barron was used in Los Angeles, where you can play him as a linebacker. You can play him in the slot, which he did um, covering receivers out of the slot um, at Notre Dame in college. Also, he can cover running backs out of the backfield and then potentially, you know, given whatever personnel is on the on the field, you can use him in the box as a safety and really kind of use him as a chess piece. But also there's that minor concern of what if it's a situation similar to Isaiah Simmons and the Arizona Cardinals of how do we effectively use him? And that could maybe limit some of the upside you see, you know, early on in his career. So uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa is a pick you can make if you are confident that you're going to be here a while. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that part of the reason that he he didn't go in the first round is it's really difficult to place him. Um, I, I said that leading up to the draft, you know that it was everybody was saying it was such a given that he was going to be, you know, gone before the bronze pick. Not everybody's willing to take that player because they don't know what to do with him. Um, you know, whether it's a system, whether you want to attribute it to an older school mentality or whatever, uh, 
not everybody looks at this. There are people who look at him and go, we just, there's nothing for us here. Uh, he just doesn't fit. If you're playing like an old school, you know, four, three system, uh, he doesn't play for you. Um, there's just, you don't you don't have like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are a good example. I, I know their fans really loved him, uh, would have liked him. I don't know if he was even on their board as a result. Uh, I also believe firmly that Rondale Moore was absolutely in the conversation for that pick. When he went off the board, uh, he may not have been the only one, but that's when they pulled the trigger. He, Rondale Moore was taken by Arizona. Uh, so I, I, I think the Browns had probably like two or three pick two or three players in mind. And basically once that, per, you know, once, once one of them went off the board, they immediately got on the phone, you know, in, in order to make sure they didn't lose out. Um, but uh, in terms of the Browns and defensively, uh, they can call him a will if they want. I, I, I hope they are thinking more in terms of a, a, a much larger uh, range of roles for him than that. That Rover position he played at Notre Dame, uh, which is what they called him. He's unbelievable in the slot. If whether you actually have him out in the slot in space or is that overhang defender, he is just so good uh, in terms of playing outside leverage, uh, keeping you know get, getting getting contained, keeping his outside arm free, forcing guys back inside to his help, and then being fast enough where he can get back in after forcing them to go upfield into his his, his teammates and then chase it down. Uh, the thing that really stood out to me going through all this film uh, is him in the flat uh, as a defender in that regard and always being on the, the flat of the quarterback's throwing hand. Uh, he's very good in coverage. I don't expect he's going to be doing man coverage against wide receivers in the NFL, but, you know, being that flat defender, taking, you know, riding somebody out and sort of setting up shop over there, because when when you know some of these quarterbacks, the, the AFC in particular, I, I do believe this is a pick that has the AFC uh, conference in mind. There's so many mobile quarterbacks that want to go to their go to their throwing hand side. Josh Allen is the most prevalent of those, but you know whether it's Patrick Mahomes, whether it's you know Lamar Jackson, whether it's Joe Burrow, you know your preference is always going to be go to your throwing hand. He's fast enough where. If those guys are going to try to come up and run, he will come up with enough speed to limit the damage. And he's a he's a he's a hitter. Uh, he's a guy who can you know take somebody out. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes not in the best way that he he can be somewhat of a risky tackler in certain respects. He's not you know he's not lights out in terms of his making every tackle. But there are times where he will blow up a guy, and and I think quarterbacks are going to be aware of that pretty quickly if they want to take him on. I mean, Josh Allen is bigger than he is. Uh, you know, I'm guessing that uh, he, you know, Kormoa, or Owosu Kormoa is about 215 pounds. Uh, they're going to hope he gets up to 220 by camp, but Josh Allen is obviously, you know, 240, 245. If he tries to drop his shoulder on him, he may be in for a surprise, uh, but he, you know, Owusu is fast enough to to sort of run and track down a guy like Lamar Jackson and all those things. So I, I think there's so much to like about him. 
I don't, I think most people are going to say he's written. I think he relatively speaking has a high floor. So long as you're willing to commit to utilizing him properly. Uh, I, I think he's risky from a perception standpoint, purely because he's, you know, this undersized sort of, uh, some people will call him a tweener. I, I've run into that already uh, that, you know, that, that maybe he gets sort of caught in between positions. I don't think that will happen. I think he will be more than fine. Uh, I, I think he can have a lot of value to this defense. Uh, I do. If you do watch the tape of him at uh, Notre Dame and you watch him as an inside linebacker, his defensive line does a ton of work for him uh, in the best way possible. It's not a criticism of him, but th- that defensive line deserves a ton of credit for helping him become such a star because they do protect him. They do create holes for him and he exploits them to the fullest extent he can. So there's a lot to like about him. Uh, I think the Browns have, and I, I, I suspect they will, even if they, they call him whatever they want, that he's going to be, a, you know, sort of that slot overhang defender and then be a dimebacker and some other things where he can just run around and, and cause havoc. And I think that as well, having that experience of having defensive linemen that are able to really control the line of scrimmage and help you sort through the trash, you know, so you have a more clear view of say a running back or blitzing from the edge or from the interior helps him in terms of translating that skill set to the Browns defense because like you stated before the Browns wanted to get bigger up front they wanted to be more stout up front because that gives their second level players the ability to run more freely to the ball we look at Anthony Walker um, Sione Takitaki, Malcolm Smith, uh, JLK and of course uh, Tony Fields who they got out of the fifth round those type of players, you want them to be able to freely make plays from the second level. And I really feel like the value of Owosu Kormoa really be shown, you know, obviously during training camp, we'll kind of see how they'll start to utilize him and deploy him. But when you look at the schedule, there's plenty of opportunities to really see what type of impact he'll have. When you look at Denver um, and the Raiders, you have or potentially even the Chargers, you have three teams where he can be utilized and covering running backs out of the backfield. When you look at Josh Jacobs or um, you have Austin Eckler, um, even Melvin Gordon, and then the Broncos also just drafted a running back as well. So you have that versatility for him to cover running backs out of the backfield. When you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, um, obviously he could be someone that you could use you know, solely in terms of man coverage, whenever Travis Kelsey's on the field and be able to have that um, that high safety coverage, uh, kind of similar to what you see Bill Belichick do, um, you know, in the times in the playoffs of Super Bowl, typically if that number one receiver, they'll have a cornerback in man coverage and a safety that kind of shadows that side of the field, kind of giving a, a, a two level high coverage is something that they could use against the, the Kansas City Chiefs with Tyreek Hill and you know really allow him to cover Travis Kelsey. Minnesota you can use him out of the backfield against um Dalvin Cook if there's any type of pass plays like you said being able to utilize that ability to cover in the flat or even Najee Harris for Pittsburgh for the two games. So having that ability to really create your own defensive matchups and allow the rest of the field to I would say 
play towards the other team's strength or one of their top players, it helps your defense overall because now you force the opposing offense to either scheme up a player open in a certain way or force other players to beat you. Now, this is not just going to say that as soon as, you know, JOK comes to the league, he's just going to dominate everyone in man coverage. But as the season progresses and as his career progresses, you have more confidence in him that he can give you more advantageous defensive matchups compared to previous seasons where your linebackers didn't necessarily give you that flexibility and you had to utilize safeties, you know, more heavily. And that might, you know, cause a little bit more concern on the back end. We don't have, you know, many players deep or, you know, being able to roll coverage towards a certain player. But now having that 4-2-5 defense, you can have more defensive backs and not lose too much in terms of, you know, having one less linebacker on the field and really um, adjusting your defense to the modern day NFL offense. Yeah, I mean, look, I think as much as teams want to run uh, a base nickel with three corners, I think the Browns would be at least smart to consider them that running that base nickel with a Wusu as as a as that rover slash overhang. Yeah. Um- and as long as he can continue to, you know, grow within that defense and have a specified weekly role, I think that will help with his development. Um, you know, obviously with him just being a younger player and kind of having a positionless type role in that Notre Dame defense in terms of like, this is what you do each game, um, that'll help him get more comfortable. Because, you know, with there being so many new players on the defense, you don't want to experience a situation where there's too many, you know, miscommunications or players running open, you know, as these players, you know, get more comfortable and build up that chemistry. Because having up to new, up to nine new starters on that defense or contributors, you know, could see some issues early in the season as they build up that chemistry. And we have a younger player that, you know, is going to be used so, you know, vast in the in the ways that they deploy him on that defense you don't want to give him too much too early so if you're able to give him a specific role or a specific matchup you know on a weekly basis until you feel more and more comfortable you know about the overall defensive chemistry and you know what he excels at then as the season progresses you know and eventually to the playoffs you know exactly you know this is what he excels at and we're going to utilize him as much as possible and then, of course, the rest of your defense, you employ them in the ways that you best see fit. Yep. And he will definitely play special teams. Uh, he will definitely even even if he does sort of evolve into a, a big time role uh, when they're in big spots. I fully expect you're going to see him on the field uh, because he is such a, a good athlete. He's sort of the perfect size. Uh, and with his athleticism, you know, whether it's trying to block punts, trying to, uh, you know, block field goals or, or certain other areas. I think you're going to see him out there quite a bit. Yeah. So moving on to round three at pick 91, the Browns obviously needed to get a receiver based off of what was left on the board. Obviously there was a lot of talk about, you know, potentially drafting an edge player. This didn't happen in this draft to the surprise of many, 
But also, um, you know, this is something that's been talked about. Brandon Little wrote an article uh, about it, is that maybe this is more of an inclination on what they see out of Curtis Weaver. Um, obviously, um, given their other moves after the draft as well, um, maybe there's a little bit um, more emphasis on the interior in terms of how many players are going to keep versus how many edge players. But again, they go Anthony Shorts, the receiver out of Auburn, um, six foot, 185, and his 40 time, a 4-2-5, is absolutely screaming. And what the Browns needed the most on this offense was someone that could stretch the field vertically, threaten to take the top off the defense, help open things underneath in the intermediate parts of the field. And the people that I believe will benefit the most when Shorts is on the field is going to be Austin Hooper, David Njoku, and Harrison Bryant because those are the players that typically work in the underneath in the shallow parts of the field. And when you have to have those safeties drop back a little bit further, now you're in a little bit more ideal situation where some linebackers that aren't as good in coverage now have to deal with Anthony Hooper, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku, who's, who's working in the open parts of the field. Right. So, you know, First blush, you look at Anthony Schwartz and his speed uh, and you go, he's, you know, they're going to try to use him to go over the top. Uh, And I fully expect that will be the case. And if they can develop that, then, then that's going to be increasingly what he can do. But I think the Browns are going to use him quite a bit in the way that Auburn did, uh, which is as sort of a, a joker type player. Uh, in that there won't be, they won't hesitate to use him on a jet sweep. They won't hesitate to use him on, you know, slip screens. They won't hesitate to sort of manufacture touches uh, in part because they do block well on the outside, but just to say, you know, we have this guy who's so fast, if we can just get him a a crease, he's going to be a huge player. Um, I think this is something, again, Rondell Moore would have been in the same vein. Uh, you know, I think Demetric Felton has some of these uh, traits as well. But if you go back to Kevin Stefanski when he was with the Minnesota Vikings, um, and part of this is because you have two tight ends and you have, or you use a lot of two tight end sets and, and you do have two receivers that you sort of are, are, on the field the most and then that third receiver or you know you you can have sort of these guys that aren't traditional you don't need like a a guy necessarily to go be a polished route runner to to go pick up first downs uh when he was with the vikings they had cordero patterson and he would do some of these things where you know he was not a polished receiver at all but he was a guy where you just wanted to get the ball in his hands and see what you know see what happened uh you just turn and throw it to him you just hand it to him whatever it is uh, I think Anthony Schwartz will do some of those things. He's not, you know, he's six foot 186. He's not tiny. Um, he is willing to sort of fight for yards, even though he doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, uh, sand in his pants. Uh, but he can do some of those things. And, and, and Auburn, you know, I've, I, I, I still think it's crazy that they fired Gus Malzahn, but that offense is very instructional on how easy it can be to sort of create opportunities uh, where guys are wide open or 
have space in front of them or whatever. And Kevin Stefanski does a lot of those same things. Uh, so if you watch him uh, from Auburn, you can sort of, it's not difficult to see how Kevin Stefanski would, would try to manipulate situations to, to allow him to get big play opportunities. He may only play, you know, it, it, assuming he's active, uh, you know, 10 or 15 snaps in a game, but somewhere at some point they're going to try to take a shot and Baker Mayfield's got Baker Mayfield. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's way better than Bo Nix. Um, so he can, he can, he can chuck it. He's, I mean, Bo Nix has a really strong arm, but Baker Mayfield can throw it accurately. Uh, and they finally get a guy other than Odell Beckham who can really just stretch the field and, and, and be in a foot race with a defensive back. And, and if he wins, he's, you know, it's easy offense and something the Browns haven't had. It's particularly last year. They didn't have those, you know, instant offense, quick drive plays very often. Uh, but, but in, in terms of being able to take those screens and some of those other things, uh, you know, that's something that they they've done with Beckham. I assume they will still do it with Beckham in some respects because it's just, Hey, he's a playmaker, get the ball in his hands, but they may not feel the need to do it as often and may allow him to do more down the field and Schwartz can sort of, you know, give them another option or potentially take advantage of the, the, the attention that a guy like Beckham demands and, and capitalize on the other end. I mean, if nothing else, Schwartz would create space for everybody just because of how fast he is and you have to account for him when he steps on the field. And I agree that 10 to 15 snaps will be that sweet spot for him. You know, maybe given the matchup, he may play, you know, more snaps, but when he is on the field, I expect him to use him, you know, maybe in situations that we see with Kadero Hodge early in the season where you can have him run a deep post or deep cross crossing route off a of play action and really, you know, get down the field, get a lot of movement up front and, you know, that slight hesitation from a safety could, you know, be something where you can get that big play down the field where that speed over top really causes the issue for him. And he's definitely a player that's, you know, even faster than Kadero Hodge. And when you look at his film from Auburn, you could definitely expect some reverses. Uh, we've seen that a lot with... Um, Odell Beckham, when he was healthy, and Jarvis Landry, they did have some trick plays. Now, I'm, I'm not expecting him to do anything like that, but being able to get him on a reverse, a just sweep, I could really see a situation where he's in a chips formation with either Rashard Higgins or Jarvis Landry and Donovan Peoples-Jones, and you have them, you know, some of the best blockers on the team, blocking cornerbacks on the outside, especially with Donovan Peoples-Jones. If you have him on a slip screen where he plays the middle of that trips uh, set, you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's bigger than a lot of corners on the outside. You can definitely, you know, use that speed for him to get around the corner. And sometimes being able just to get 15, 16 yards on, say, a first or a second down just to kind of get the drive going and having those, you know, quick, quick snap offenses where you're kind of going into a slight hurry up to quickly get points on the board at any point of the game is definitely a um, asset that you want to utilize. And again, he, I mean, he's a third round pick. So you really just have him play in that role. Like you said, stretch the field vertically, use them on screens. And there's nothing wrong with having a gadget type player like that. 
because that's essentially what you were trying to get out of JoJo Natson last season before he tore his ACL. And now with the um, draft of Anthony Schwartz and Demetric Felton, I believe that's going to be something that's going to push JoJo Natson, you know, potentially off the roster, given that you have two players, one, you know, that aren't going to cost you a lot of money and can really feel that role that you're looking to get out of JoJo Natson. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, you just, you just go back to the chiefs game in the playoffs. Uh, they were playing, you know, that four, you know, they were just playing man tight man coverage with single high. Um, if you have Beckham and you, have, you put a guy like Schwartz out there, they can't play that. They just can't because if, if, you know, if, if he gets, if either one gets behind the DB, that's points. So just right there, you can see where what the Browns are trying to do. Uh, it's not surprising. They basically said that, you know, they wanted more speed. Uh, but, yeah, that Chiefs game is so instructional in terms of everything that the Browns offense needs. You know, I, you know, I, I probably would have loved for them to get a receiver earlier than they did or maybe a more sort of a polished option. But it doesn't change the fact of what Schwartz is here to do. He gives them speed and he forces teams to take him seriously in, in that area. He potentially creates more space for the tight ends. He pre- potentially creates more space for the running game. And, you know, Nick Chubb doesn't need a lot of help, but he's not going to say no. Uh, so those are just all those things are, are, are interesting and, and potentially fun. It, it, and more than anything, you have a quarterback who showed he can throw the ball 75 yards on Monday night against the Ravens, just throwing it out of the back of the end zone. You know, let's see if Anthony Schwartz can outrun him. You know, let's give him that shot to see what that is. And and the Browns have not had any real reason to just, you know, throw it up and let, you know, get single coverage and just chuck it up and see if a guy can go make a play other than Beckham. So that's, that's, that's a, a big deal. Uh, so you try not to, you know, ramp up expectations too much. He's got a lot to learn. He's still very young, uh, but that's sort of the potential of what he can bring to this team. And I was okay with them not taking a receiver necessarily earlier or moving up for someone like Elijah Moore or, you know, Rondell Moore. Obviously Elijah Moore went at the top of the second, but Again, the thing that needed most given this season was speed. And worst case scenario, when you move on from, you know, Jarvis Landry, Odo Beckham, or whoever it may be, you still have that flexibility to grab a receiver next year, you know, in rounds one or two, given that you're going to be picking late in the first round again anyway. So I feel like it's not as pressing as a need um, as, you know, some may believe. So looking at uh, round four, this was... Uh, an interesting round for them because one, they traded pick 113 and their seventh round pick in this year's draft with the Detroit Lions moving back to the fifth round and then also acquiring an additional asset for 2022 with an additional fourth round pick. And for me, that's huge because one, you always want to be in a situation where you're able to add more assets in the following draft because that now gives you a little bit more flexibility in terms of even of either moving up or down the draft board and you want to have that flexibility each year. 
But with their first pick in the fourth round at 110, they took offensive tackle James Hudson out of uh, Cincinnati. He's 6'4", 302. He was a former defensive tackle back in high school. And then once he went to Michigan, he did play right tackle in his red shirt freshman season and then eventually went to Cincinnati for more playing time. Really, the notion with this pick is that it was more of a nod from Bill Callahan. Um, I know that, you know, maybe Edge could have been a better value for this year. But I think the Hudson pick was more of a say of let's recognize what we have on the offensive line now and what's the best value we can get, you know, down the line. And I felt that was the best draft strategy heading into draft weekend for the Browns was get players that can contribute this season and then also find players that's going to help you out in the long term. And with Hudson having a little bit shorter arms, maybe he's more in that mode of Chris Hubbard in terms of someone that gives you both guard and tackle versatility. With him being a former defensive tackle, you know, he is mobile. Uh, being in a zone scheme, you want offensive linemen that can move in space. And then also, too, it just gives you another player that you could groom you know, with Bill Callahan, and we've already seen the work he's done with Wyatt Teller, and you hope that he's able to develop Hudson into a swing tackle. And, you know, in their situation, just like we saw last season, if Conklin or Jedrick Wills goes out, you can have a player that can step in and give you quality snaps if that if any one of those players, you know, are out for a significant period of time. Uh, there's no question that this pick was an investment. Uh, this is not, you know, for all the... Andrew Berry talking before the draft, it's about making the best long-term investments, not about immediate gratification. There's no player with less immediate gratification than potentially Hudson. Um, whether he ends up in tackle, I'm sure, I'm sure they would prefer he's a tackle. He may well end up at guard. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, he is a former defensive tackle. He's nasty. He, you know, he's, 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 all of those things that you sort of attribute to that. And he's got that mean streak and got him ejected from the bowl game, uh, which all might, you know, sound like a guard uh, guard might be a more welcome fit for a defensive tackle. Obviously he's been playing offensive tackle for a little while, but just the immediacy of hands-on uh, is, is certainly familiar to him from that regard. Um the biggest thing with the Hudson pick is one. Uh, if you thought if if you if they took an offensive lineman, it seemed like more likely that they would take a center than a tackle. Uh, but the fact that they took a, a tackle or or perhaps guard is interesting because it, just the sheer amount of guys they have in the offensive line room right now is massive. Uh, if you take out the starting five, you still have Nick Harris, who I assume is pretty safe to make the team. Drew Forbes, who I assume is pretty safe to make the team. Uh, you've got Chris Hubbard, who now becomes a major question mark. Do the Browns now feel like they can move him uh, in a trade and a little cost savings because they have so many bodies uh, or – you know, does something along those lines become an avenue? But that's three. You have Axe Taylor, who they signed as an undrafted free agent last year. 
who they seem to like quite a bit uh, as a potential swing tackle in, in development. They've got Greg Sanat, uh, who they signed. I don't think he's a real, you know, I don't think he's going to make the team or anything, but uh, he, I think he came back basically for more Bill Callahan coaching uh, after ending last year on uh, with the, with the Cowboys. They've got Michael Dunn, who played in the playoff game really well at guard. They've got Blake Hans, who played at the end of the one playoff game at guard and the second playoff game at tackle. They've got uh, – I'm missing somebody. Uh, they've got Javon Patterson, who is a guy on the practice squad all, all most of last year as a center. So – it's and you add in Hudson, that's nine guys uh, that are competing for what might be four spots. So – on the one hand, you're certainly not going to hate the fact that the Browns are still taking offensive line seriously enough to continue investing and try to find the best guys they can. Uh, you can appreciate the Bill Callahan angle of this, although I do get a little nervous when we when we just basically disregard any potential negative here and go, oh, Bill Callahan said it's okay, so it's okay. That's I don't, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, but you know, if five guys aren't going to make this team, maybe they, maybe they, maybe they keep five backup offensive linemen, maybe they keep a total of 10, but, if, but if they're going to get down to nine and you're going to have five guys not make the team, one would hope that the Browns are going to be able to move some of these guys through trades, whether they get conditional picks, late round picks, maybe a player who's not going to make the Browns for a player who's not going to make another team something where they can sort of uh, carry this over into something else. Obviously the Denver Broncos lost uh, their right tackle for the season. uh, And now they have a need at that position. He's probably not going to be the only guy who goes down, whether in the off season or, you know, training camp and stuff. So, you know, seemingly there's going to be a market because there's just not enough good offensive linemen in the NFL and the Browns all of a sudden have a bunch of them in part because they took weird benefit from the pandemic, which is fascinating. Oh, I forgot Colby Gossett. He's also still on the roster as a guard. Uh, Can they take this strength they now have and sort of use it to, to continue giving them more flexibility in the future? Can they use this to get future assets? Can they sort of, you know, can they, can they sort of, really take, you know, sort of uh, maximize the situation from their benefit. I assume they can, I assume they will, but it's definitely, you just sort of look at it from this point, you're sort of like, how's this going to end up? So I'm curious with it, particularly with Chris Hubbard, he dislocated his kneecap. People keep talking like he did something like he stepped in a landmine, dislocated kneecap, uh, without doing damage to any of your other ligaments is not a huge, huge deal. He may be already healthy at this point. Uh, not that you want to dislocate your kneecap. I mean, it just sounds awful, but it's not, you know, torn ligaments. It's not a torn patella. It's not an ACL, MCL, anything like that. So he may be healthy pretty quickly here. Uh, and if he's not, they can sort of slow play it with his recovery and, and get these other guys lots of reps. But if the right opportunity comes along, do the Browns pull the trigger and trade him? I, I mean, it's hard to imagine they wouldn't because they have that much faith in Bill Callahan, even as valuable. Chris Hubbard was a hugely valuable last year. There's no debate. He was great for the Browns last year as that sixth man. 
So that's sort of where, you know, all this is very interesting to me, regardless of what, what James Hudson Hudson is able to do or not do as a player. Yeah. And you hit the nail right on the head of, you have a position group where just a lot of teams don't have enough talent along the offensive line. And I'm always okay with adding more offensive linemen depth and talent because it's a position group that has also taken more time to develop a starting caliber player, or at least a player that can be a quality swing tackle. Given how a lot of college offenses are set up, most of them typically don't run pro style offenses. So the learning curve for a lot of them, obviously you have prospects like Jedrick Wills or Andrew Thomas, you know, physical freaks like Makai Becton, you know, but those players are going in the first round generally. And you can find some good value in the second round, like the Bears did with Tevin Jenkins, who was potentially a first round prospect. But once you hit about day two, day three, you really want to start taking swings at offensive tackle because in the situation that you have a player on your team that either outperforms what you're willing to pay them or what you can pay them when you have a development option that's been you know waiting in the reins for potentially two three years you can have them step in with confidence without feeling like you're going to have too much of a significant drop off um and like you said being able to move a player like alex taylor or greg sanat potentially like blake hance or someone like that um maybe even drew forbes for additional draft assets. Don't you dare. Don't I, you dare try to t- trade my boy Drew Forbes away. I, I, I don't want them to trade Drew Forbes at all. Um, I feel like he would, if he develops properly in the way that they need him to, I feel like he would be the most ideal person to step in for um, Joe Batonio. Yes. They only have a few more seasons with him, if we're just being honest. True. Um, so I want them to keep Forbes. I loved his tape, especially with him coming from a smaller school. You knew it was going to be a little bit more development, and they took him in the sixth round. Um, but again, you got to keep all options on the, on the table, just like it comes with Chris Hubbard for this season, given what their roster is looking like, understanding their contract situations, it would be more ideal to have Hubbard on the roster because you now have a veteran in that situation to step in to play spot snaps or play for a few games. If someone goes down versus not having that. Um, but again, if the compensation you will receive for trading, you know, such a player Obviously, you have to take that into huge consideration. And sometimes when teams are desperate enough, they'll give you more um, value technically than what the players essentially worth. And that's something you got to take advantage of when the opportunity arises. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if multiple players are moved. When you just look at Wyatt Teller, obviously that happened, you know, around the draft. But they were able to add him for a draft pick. And when you have a situation where you can get a fifth or sixth round player, um, you know, or fifth or sixth round draft pick, excuse me, and you can move up the board and do things similar to what they did this year, that gives you more benefit than not. And again, it's going to take some time to see what you really have out of Hudson, but the training camp competition along the offensive and defensive line is going to be tremendous this year, and I can't wait because then we'll really know, one, who we're going to have long-term along this roster, and how confident is this team going to be in this situation? You know, obviously knock on wood that a player's goes down because you have no control over that. Right. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I love the trade to get a future fourth round pick. Uh, it's fascinating that they went from the trade they moved up to go get 
uh, Owusu Koromoa. They traded down from uh, 89 to 113. They used they trade 113 uh, to move down to 153 and get the fourth round pick, and then they use 153 to take Owusu uh, Koromoa's. You know, I don't I don't want to call him a backup, but sort of running mate in Tony Fields because they play very similar styles of football. Uh, so, yeah, I was very happy with that. I'm hoping they can find ways to continue to adding some assets uh, for next year because they always want to continue to maintain their flexibility and abil- ability to be aggressive if they want to trade for a player or you know move around in the draft or whatever. Right. So looking at the fourth round, uh, uh, continuing in the fourth round, excuse me, Again, going back to the trenches, you want to have quality depth. And this group overall just looks completely different considering the players that they've signed after the draft and then the undrafted free agents as well. So in the fourth round, they took Tommy uh, Togiai, defensive tackle out of Ohio State, 6'1", 300 pounds, a guy that's ideally a three technique who's, um, I would say, an attacking disruptor. Uh, he can you know get some quick penetration in terms of the run game. Uh, someone that you know could develop a little bit more in terms of his his pass rush, but again, just having depth along the interior, I think is going to be huge. So I mean, I'll kind of just address it now in terms of the players that they've picked up to this point. They've already added Marvin Wilson to the roster, um, which I think is going to be big for this team because one, you just get another player that was mocked in the first round before the season started obviously he didn't have a performance in the 2020 season that you wanted um you add malik mcdowell a second round pick back in 2017 from the seattle seahawks obviously there's some character concerns uh he spent some time in prison but you know outside of i think it was an atv accident and some injuries that just happened during um different parts like training camp he hasn't really been able to play since being drafted, but this was a player that had tremendous upside at that time. So you hope, you know, that he's fully healthy and, you know, that those character concerns are really addressed. And there was a media statement placed out by Andrew Barry really addressing that. And then they also just added Damian Square, um, a player that was just with the uh, L.A. Chargers. Again, you're adding a lot of bodies to that training camp competition to improve along the defensive tackle group and you know depending on how it goes if a player gets moved or you know maybe a player just doesn't work out because it happens all the time there's still the slight possibility that you could see return from shoulder richardson given what he might you know receive on the open market but just heading into july you have a, a very i would say a very good group in terms of competition and you hope that one of those players can really stand out and separate themselves from the rest of the pack so you can have a solid four and then potentially you have the rest of them battling out for a fifth spot. Right. Um, Damien square. He's a body. Um, Tommy Togi. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's like fully formed yet. I think he's very fascinating in terms of uh, the fact that he he's yet to play even 300 snaps in a, in a season. Um, I think the pandemic shortened season, he probably would have gotten a lot uh, sort of figured himself out a little bit more. Uh, he, very athletic. Uh, you know, he's even smaller than Larry Ogunjobi. 
Uh, so I'm curious to see what they sort of have in mind for him. He's a three. Uh, we'll see what that looks like. It wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't end up playing much this year um, or very sparingly. He may be a guy who's inactive every week. Um, just in terms of where he is in, in his development and, and what they need um, right now. But he's got, you know, a ton of upside and could be a really nice player down the road. Maybe it's later this year, uh, but uh, it's hard to imagine he's going to come out and play a ton right away. Uh, but, you know, the, that's, that's not a bad, that's not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. Um, Marvin Wilson, I'm a big fan of uh, as an undrafted free agent. You know, he's, he's a nose tackle, uh, just really, really strong, powerful, can throw guys out of the way, can two gap. Uh, with him, everything is about health. Can he stay healthy? If he can stay healthy, uh, I think there's a chance for him to not only uh, make the team, but I think he can contribute. Uh, I think he could play in his first season with the Browns. Uh, he'd be the guy that behind Billings, they'd get another true two gapper, but he's got an added element and that he can, he can rush the passer and collapse the interior. So there's a real value with him. Um, as far as Sheldon Richardson goes, it's becoming difficult to figure out how they would make that work in just in terms of the numbers. Um, even if they want, you know, it seems more and more like they want to keep five defensive tackles, maybe four edge rushers. Uh, but just sort of doing the math here, that's, that's, uh, Malik Jackson, that's, uh, Jordan Elliott, that's Andrew Billings, that's Tommy Togiai, and potentially Marvin Wilson. So unless they're willing to make what, you know, really surprising move would be something like, you know, cutting slash trading a Jordan Elliott, that seems really difficult to fathom. They're they're still going to find a way to somehow get a Sheldon Richardson. Now, having said that, you know, if somebody goes down, it's really easy to find a spot for him and suddenly he, he becomes pretty important. So I understand why they're sort of keeping that out there. They're keeping that an option. Um, but at least right this second, it's very difficult to see where it happens. Malik McDowell, I have no idea what he's going to give you at this point. Um, you know, he's had a rough go the last couple of years, you know, he's, he's coming out of prison uh, allegedly, you know, at least according to Andrew Barry, they're, they're, they're confident that he's doing the things that have made uh, that they're going to make a positive change in his life. And this all goes back to the ATV accident, which essentially ended his career before it started with, with Seattle. And the, the belief, at least by people who know him, that the head injury that he suffered as part of that accident, like, altered him, you know, to a point where he's a different person. And that sort of contributed to this, uh, this, this run of arrests and, and, and these, some of these issues that are bizarre. Uh, the fight he got into with a cop at a gas station over a traffic stop is just weird. It, it's just, it, it's hard to sort of believe that it, it went to that level, uh, given the situation. Um, you know, hopefully for his sake, he, he's found some way to, to restore balance in his life, regardless of whether it works with the Browns or not. 
I don't know what the upside is from their standpoint. I don't like, I don't know what, what they think he can be. He's super tall, uh, long player. You know, who knows what he is athletically at this point. Um, he's got a shot. Uh, and maybe that's what he really needs more than anything to sort of get his name back out there and sort of try to, to, to find himself uh, a career, whether it's in the NFL or, or something else. I, I Again, I, I have a difficult time seeing where that goes with the Browns. You know, maybe there's a there's a a path where he ends up in the practice squad or something along those lines. But uh, it's an interesting situation with him, um, which has more an- more questions than answers at this point. And I would say a best case scenario for the Browns overall, when you look at this group, is just finding some, I would say, some silver lining in terms of the players. And what you have really more for 2022 than necessarily say this season. Um, obviously, there's still, um, I would say, a slight concern of what depth do you really have in terms of that one technique or nose tackle behind Billings. You know, maybe you slide Jordan Elliott into that spot and see what, what he can do. But, you know, when you look at Marvin Wilson, um, obviously Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai, uh, potentially um, someone else, you know, down the road, maybe Malik McDowell, if he does end up on the practice squad. But you're just hoping that you can get some contributors in 2022 that you'll have on the roster, you know, longer than just one season. And I would say that for the defense overall is you want players that you know is going to be here for at least a few seasons. Like you only can go so long with consistently handing out one-year deals and having consistent turnover in terms of who your starters are before where it's kind of like change becomes more of a negative than it does a a, a, a positive because it's so much turnover. And, and we've seen that with different positions, especially quarterback throughout the years, where, of course, if the player's more talented, you want to add that, of course. And But you would assume that player, if he's more talented, is going to be here for a longer period of time. But just given how they address the safety room um, last season, this year with the defensive line, and then, of course, uh, with the linebacker group a little bit, you just want to see players that can be here and provide a little bit long-term value on that defense so they can really grow as a unit. Yeah, look, I mean, you have this Joe Woods defense going into year two. Um, You know, last year it was, you know, you have, you have these pieces, a lot of one-year deals, throw something together, see what, see what you can do, see what's worth holding on to see, see what we can make happen this year. It's these year guys, you know, can you, uh, this is, this is what you wanted, make it, make it work, make it happen, whatever that looks like for you. So, you're getting a, a much more definitive look at what, you know, what Joe Woods wants to be with this defense. Yeah. So um, as we continue on the defense, the next two picks that were made in the fifth round by um, Andrew Barry to, to continue improving that defense, one adding depth and also I would say long-term value I would say really you're going to get more, I would say, long-term value with these players than necessarily year one contributions from them. 
You look at Tony Fields, the linebacker out of West Virginia. He comes in at 6'1". He's listed as 220, maybe a little bit closer in size to uh, Jeremiah Wilson-Koromoa. Um, now, I would say Fields is going to be more of a traditional linebacker than, say, uh, JLK is. And that's not necessarily, I'm saying, in his play style, but really in terms of how you're going to deploy him, I would say he would be more of a wheel, maybe a Mike linebacker, depending on how you decide to deploy that Mike linebacker. But someone that can run uh, sideline to sideline, make tackles in open space. And similar, like we talked about JLK, you want your front four to really be able to control the line of scrimmage. So that way he doesn't have to just always sort you know, his way through trash and have to take on offensive linemen that's blocking him at the second level, something that he kind of struggled with in college at West Virginia and a little bit at Arizona was getting off blocks just because his smaller stature. But if he's able to, you know, be adept playing, dropping back into zone coverage, really covering the open parts of the field. Um, and I would say be a little bit more consistent, you know, in terms of, of a depth option, that could be a, a solid pick. Um, you know, I would say by default, you want to see him contribute on special teams. And the same with Richard LeConte, uh, the other uh, fifth round pick. He was picked at pick 169, safety out of Georgia, 5'10", 195. He did have a motorcycle accident, which affected his pro day. Um, so he only ended up running like a 4'8". And anytime you're just in an accident, it's not the same as a sports injury where it takes your body a little bit longer to fully heal because obviously the impacts are a lot different. Um given an accident versus a sports injury. So you ha you're kind of in a situation with him where there's enough safeties where he doesn't have to be exactly a day one contributor, but he's now set up in a situation where he's going to com be competing more with, say, Sheldrick Wedwine, Elijah Benton, Javante Moffitt on the back end as safety depth. And then really the biggest way for him finding playing time on game day is going to be through special teams and hopefully during training camp that he can kind of show the ball skills that he was able to showcase during his time in Georgia. Oh uh, yeah. LeCount, I, I expect is basically competing for, with Sheldrick Redwine for a job. Um, they do a lot of the same things. Uh, he's a coverage safety. Uh, he had, I think seven interceptions in his last 20 games with Georgia, uh, which stands out as very impressive. His overall production isn't great. Much like Sheldon Red, Redwine to this point, not a big fan of tackling. Uh, that's my concern. I think, I, I think in some respects, Owusu uh, Koromoa, Tony Fields, you know, Ronnie Harrison, these are guys, you know, even Grant Delp, but these are guys who can come up and play near the line of scrimmage. LeCount is not that guy. He's the exact opposite. He's going to be a deep safety player. Uh, a guy who can cover, which is certainly something they want. Uh, so that's interesting. You know, there's, it's still not a hundred percent clear on just the extent of what happened injury wise with the accident. Uh, he, he, he said a, a, a fracture in his foot was sort of the big hang up that was taking the longest amount of time to sort of really heal. He says he's a hundred percent now. Um, and, and, and there was, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah who immediately came out and said, you know, he, he, he was really fast in terms of GPS tracking and all this stuff. So um, 
you know, it, it was still a little bit of a, a surprising pick, but, you know, I, I, again, I think he, he, he or Sheldrick Redwine will make the final roster. I would be a little surprised if both made it um, with all the guys they have. Um, but, you know, maybe they do because they feel like a guy like uh, Elijah Benton or uh, some of those guys aren't as necessary due to the fact that they were able to get uh, Tony Fields and, and Awusa Cornwell. That that sort of remains to be seen. Uh, Tony Fields, fascinating pick because on paper, he is an undersized, mediocre athlete. That is not a great recipe for success. However, he is very instinctive on the field. He's very smart on the field. He understands what teams are trying to do, and he's very quick to diagnose and react. Um, Awusu Cornwell played more in than he did in the box in his career fields exclusively played the box. So he is accustomed to sort of the violence of the middle of the field of the box at 220 pounds, you know, at being as small as he is and having to sort of sur survive and his way of survival is being quicker and smarter than everybody else. Um, he has played a ton of football for being so young if, if what I've been told is true, that he's still 21 years old. Uh, I, and I could be mistaken. I'm fairly certain he graduated in three years at Arizona and then became a graduate transfer to, to, to West Virginia. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's impressive into it unto itself. This is something LeCount, I believe is in the same situation. I think he also graduated in three years. So the Browns did not draft dummies. They picked a bunch of really, really smart, you know, motivated kids uh, to play for this football team. So Fields seems like he's going to be Owusu's running mate, that they're basically going to learn the same role, same position, whatever that becomes. I think Owusu can do a little bit more than Fields can, but Fields um, in a lot of ways is, I think, going to become Malcolm Smith, uh, who's you know, who, who may not make the final roster, but I think it's going to be one of the final, final cuts if he doesn't. Uh, sort of that coverage specialty guy, but Fields is a little bit tougher, a little bit more physical. Uh, I think he'll be on every special team. Um, and, and, you know, the, these are guys that I think have value in terms of who they are as people. I think Wusu Kormo is in that same uh, group LeCount is a guy who's regarded as a vocal leader. Uh, I, I, I already think he's a legend just in the way that uh, his, his response to Andrew Barry calling him about being the pick. Uh, if you haven't seen that, I would check it out. It's, it's great. Uh, he's got, he's a quick witted kid. I think he will be very popular uh, with, with media, with, you know, with that type of stuff. Uh, so um you know, what's the future like for these guys? Uh, who knows? Uh, but I think they're both going to play special teams, which, you know, that was really the theme of day three, other than their two lineman picks. Uh, they got a lot of guys who are going to help them on special teams because they lost a ton of those reps in the off season. Uh, Tony Fields is, you know, the size of Tay Davis, who's now a Houston Texan. Uh, so they, they get a lot of value from that standpoint, hopefully. Uh, but, uh, you know, Tony Fields and, and, and Awusu Koromoa were sort of linked throughout the draft process as guys who were similar. So 
the Browns just basically said, why not just get both of them? And, and we're really going to commit to this thing and have more bites of the apple that can do this thing as opposed to just getting one. And then, you know, if it doesn't work, then sort of having to change your defense. I think fields allows them to stay true to what they want to be. Yeah. And as we move to the final day, three pick in round six, pick two eleven, they took Demetric Felton, the running back out of UCLA, a little bit smaller, five, nine, one eighty nine. Um, he did practice as a wide receiver at the senior bowl. And then also I would say really the way how he was deployed at UCLA, he was a running back, but they were also utilizing him a lot as a pass catcher out of the backfield which offers, you know, some value in terms of the versatility that he can bring on offense. And I see him more as a gadget player, someone, you know, that you could use with for screens out of the backfield, maybe throw screens to him in the slot, um, trying to get him in open space against some linebackers. I wouldn't expect a ton of playing time from him, but I do believe he is someone that could make the roster as a six-round pick because of what he can provide in terms of special teams. Um, depending on, you know, his ability maybe to tackle, he could be someone that could be used as a gunner in terms of maybe like a punt coverage team. Um, and then, of course, I would say more his return uh, return game value is probably going to be the biggest thing, his biggest stake to making this roster. If he's able to contribute as a punt returner and a kick returner, I think that's going to be even bigger, you know, for the roster building and the cut down to 53 because again, that kicks off someone like Jojo Natson. Um, I would probably say maybe like Kadero Hodge as well. Um, just because again, you get someone that can provide special teams value if he shows enough of it in special teams. And then of course you have that versatility to use him on offense as either like a slot receiver or out of the backfield to offer some mismatches for the defense. Yeah, so Demetric Felton, uh, his athletic profile is bad. Um, I don't know what happened at his pro day. I, I don't know if he was injured or something, but you know, considering what you see on tape and you see what he put up on his athletic profile, I, it's it's like he was carrying a, a fifty pounds on his back or something. He's just slow, not explosive, anything based on that. But he's great on tape. Um, he can play in the slot. He can play in the backfield. Uh, he can be a kick returner. I assume they will try to see if he can return punts as well. He's, you know, he, again, this is more reason. I believe the Browns are totally in on Rondale Moore, virtually the same size, similar roles. Uh, so, you know, I don't think he's a guy you're really going to hand the ball off much to if ever. But you line him up in the backfield is a way to just throw him the ball from different ways and, and, and create pressure for the opponent. Uh, I, I, he, he's a nightmare matchup for uh, for linebackers. Uh, very, very quick, shifty, uh, great feet. Uh, he can go down the field a little bit in that regard. Uh, obviously, I think the key for him to make the team first and foremost is special teams. Uh, as a returner, he has to be, I would assume he needs to be viable at multiple things, uh, to, to beat out, uh, not only Natson, but even Dearness Johnson. Um, I, I think he's going to have, he, he I, it wouldn't stun me 
if he ends up on the practice squad this year and then maybe grows into a role later. Um, but we'll see. Uh, he's a guy that he's just, you know, he's, he's just very good on tape. He makes guys miss. He's difficult to sort of track down and wrangle as an opponent. He was productive for a pretty mediocre UCLA team. Um, again, he's small, you know, the, which is not the end of the world, uh, but you know, he can be that joker type. He can be that um, creative, you know, manufactured offensive touches type guy. He can do some of these other things. I think, you know, he's a guy where you can play empty and easily put him out wide uh, in that regard. So he, he, you know, he's another one. He's smart. He can do a lot of different things. Can he do any of those things well enough to sort of demand a roster spot? Or is he going to be sort of a, a jack of all trades, master of none that sort of finds himself on the outside looking in. That's going to be the sort of the challenge for him. Yeah. Um, watching his tape, I did like his ability to show patience as a runner. Um, he, he was, I would say, calculative in terms of when he would hit the hole and allowing his blocks to develop. So he just shows you some of that value as a running back, similar like how you said with um, Cordero Patterson of just finding ways to deploy him differently. Um and again, finding a role on special teams, I think is going to be big for him. Um, and then, of course, he had a conversation with Mike Prefer, so that also might have been one of the nods towards this pick because, of course, you want to have people that can contribute on special teams. And I would say more particularly in the run game, that's really been the biggest issue in terms of this roster um, is what they've got out of the return, return game on both kickoff and punt. Like I don't see someone like Anthony Schwartz being utilized in that role just because he didn't really do much in, in college. But again, anytime you can add players that can add a little bit more dynamicism to special teams, I feel like that's an added plus. So just looking at the five undrafted free agents to really wrap up the draft weekend, they brought in running back Trey Harbison out of Charlotte. Also defensive end Romeo McKnight out of Charlotte as well. Uh, two cornerbacks, Emmanuel Ramuba. Ragamba, thank you, uh, out of Miami, Ohio, and then cornerback Keandre Thomas out of Kansas State. And, of course, we already talked about defensive tackle Marvin Wilson, who probably has the biggest chance of making this roster out of anyone taken out of day three and being signed. They essentially paid him. I think it was like a, maybe like a sixth or fifth round draft pick and gave him significant signing bonus money and actually outbid a couple other teams you know, for his services. So that definitely shows... Hopefully that they're able to rekindle that fire, that spark that they saw early on in his career at Florida State. Um, of these, I would say, day, back in day three to undrafted free agents, do you have anyone in mind that you think they'll probably you know, make the roster and be a more significant contributor, maybe like wrong special teams? Marvin Wilson is the one easily with the best shot. Uh, I don't think... Any of the other guys have a real chance to make the roster. Keandre Thomas is the one. Maybe he's he he, he uh, finished at Kansas State, started at the University of Minnesota. He's a little older at 23, older for them anyway. Uh, but he does have a nice athletic profile. You know, that seems like the, 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 the roster spot where you could see somebody, you know, crack the lineup. I don't think the Browns are done looking. Um I, th I think uh, Manny Rugamba, I have to assume he's a slot corner because he tested 
reportedly, or at least according to what, what I found, 474. Uh, so I don't think he's playing on the boundary. Um, that's interesting. Uh, you know, maybe they found a Landry coverage specialist. I don't know. But uh, he's at least, I assume that's where he's going to be. Romeo McKnight is interesting, only that he, he did not test uh, well in terms of speed, but he's good at explosion and agility. He's been at three different colleges. You know, that, that's its own question. Uh, but, you know, the Browns didn't take an edge rusher in the draft. Um, I think if they if somebody was there, they love they would have. But the fact that they didn't certainly gives a, a green light to to uh, some of the guys they, they still have on their roster, like Curtis Weaver, like Porter Gust and like Joe, Joe Jackson to see who's going to who can sort of crack that lineup. But Romeo McKnight, you know, he's here. He's got a shot. Uh, but, uh, you know, Marvin Wilson's the one far and away the best chance. Um, after that, it becomes a, a, a very quickly sliding scale. I think the fact that they only got that many is interesting in its own right. While so many others are, are, are you know, signing 15 or it, it, upwards of, of that number. The Browns literally went to their roster limit and said done. Although uh, at least Brad Stainbrook, I have not been able to find this anywhere else. Brad Stainbrook, who, who works it over at the OBR, said they're bringing in Josh Love. Uh, as a quarterback for a tryout, um, which means first and foremost, he's going to be the quarterback at rookie camp because they need a quarterback at rookie camp. Um, but he was with the Rams last year on their practice squad. Uh, he's, you know, toolsy guy. Maybe they, they want to see him a little bit longer than that. They, they still have uh, Kyle Laletta uh, from last year. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think your best bet may be Keandre Thomas uh, simply because of the, the position he plays. Yeah, so there you have it. The Browns were able to address multiple areas of need. We saw improvements on the boundary at cornerback with Greg Newsom, two linebackers in Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and Tony Fields that can really help this defense on the second level and potentially in the slot. Added much-needed speed at receiver with the addition of Anthony Schwartz, and then of course getting better in the trenches with James Hudson and Tommy Togiai. And then, of, then they lastly to have some players that can contribute in terms of special teams and add a little bit of value on the back end with Richard LeConte and then, of course, Demetric Felton. Overall, the Browns came out of the NFL draft weekend. A better team, more quality depth, long-term as well. And it'll be interesting to see how these players contribute. And I can't wait for training camp. So I want to thank you guys so much for checking out Episode 8 of the Browns Digest Podcast. Of course, it can be found on all your favorite audio streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I want to thank you again, and we hope to see you guys on the next one. See you.